Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Some great readings this morning. The passage from Jeremiah before, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. A passage of scripture apparently the governor of Ohio is familiar with, but not of New York. That was not a joke. Please pray for New York. The Christian church has always stood against that sort of thing, even as far back as the post-apostolic writings of the Didache from the, the, in the 70, I think it was written in the 70s. Please pray for the people of New York and for the legislature of New York and for our country. But we're not going to talk about Jeremiah too much today. We're going to focus on St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, specifically his teaching on the church as the body of Christ that's what we looked at last week. We're going to look today about chapter 13, uh, the way of love, Christian love and character catalyzation, I liked to call it. Last week, he said that we are the body of Christ. We're made up of different members. We have different functions, and the members who may not be the most visible are actually worthy of more honor, St. Paul says, and we are diverse group of people. We are made up from different people, from different races and different backgrounds. That's the beauty of the church. The church is truly a multicultural transnational organization made up of all people from all walks of life, from different areas of the socioeconomic ladder, some rich, some middle class, some poor, of all races and creeds and tongues make up the Christian church. We are diverse, but we're also dependent upon one another, as we saw last week, and are becoming more and more like Christ. And today, we're going to talk about the fuel that makes that possible, and that, brothers and sisters, is love. And so in today's epistle reading, 1 Corinthians 13, it is one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture. And you will hear 1 Corinthians 13 widely read, particularly at weddings even by people who are not professing or practicing Christians. It has become a general treatise of love to romantic love. But it's probably worth mentioning that that's not what's going on here. St. Paul has something else in mind here. There's nothing sentimental in this chapter, and there's nothing romantic. And it's a little funny that a chapter that is not about romantic love is read in support of romantic love though romantic love can learn a thing or two from this. And I read this at my own wedding, so, you know, I'm preaching to myself here. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that's not the point. That's not the aim. Remember the cause of this part of the letter? People setting themselves up over the brothers and sisters in Christ, over things like who baptized them or whose spiritual gift was better. St. Paul concluded chapter 12 by asking them, do all have the same gifts? Do all hold the same ministerial offices? And he says, no, these gifts are to be desired, but there's something that's supposed to guide their use in church as well as their relationship with one another. And that, brothers and sisters, is love. And love is not a squishy feeling or getting flushed when we talk to our sweetheart, even though it's part of it, but that's not what love is. Love is what theologian Richard Hayes defines as specific actions of patient and costly service to others. Love is, as St. Paul remarks, a more excellent way 
Not a more excellent feeling, a more excellent way. He also says that this chapter is to support or promote character formation, and it also serves as a mild reprimand as well as instruction in the way of Christian love. So we see in the first three verses the have and the have-nots. In the first few verses, you see this pattern. If I have blank, but do not have love, then blank, right? It repeats itself in the first few verses. And he uses these spectacular gifts of the Spirit that he listed in chapter 12, and he sets them in opposition to their value if love has not been catalyzed by the Spirit in their hearts. If I speak of the tongue of men and of angels, right? This is the most divisive issue facing them as a church, and he begins with that one. He's not one to beat around the bush. Tongues of men and of angels here can be a bit difficult to parse, but we're going to try a little bit this morning. There's a a commentator I like named Witherington. I like his take on it. He says that it's possibly referring to to three things. The first is the gift of tongues or languages that we saw in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first fell and they were given the gift of speaking in languages that they did not know. So the Jews who were outside of Jerusalem who spoke other languages could hear of the glories of God in their own language. Then we see that here in the church of Corinth, it it could be referring to those who speak, who they believe they spoke in angelic languages. And we see this in extant Jewish literature that there is like a, a languages that are kind of spoken in heaven. So maybe that's what that's referring to. It could also refer to eloquent speakers because those who, uh, who, who were able to preach or, or, or say or give a good speech or a good sermon like that, they, you could think that, okay, they're super eloquent. There must be something kind of guiding that. There must be something behind the scenes giving that kind of, kind of power. It could be one of those three things, and I'm not going to put a pin on, on one of those three, but those are generally the three things that this is referring to here. Regardless, it's a contrast between this angelic uplifting speech and noise, right? Because you have that very, very vivid imagery of, of a gong, <laughs> right? Like when I think of the gong, I think of the gong show with that giant gong and the person comes out and then they take and they swing. If you don't have love, having these amazing gifts, there's no value to it. He moves on to gifts of prophecy and wisdom and knowledge to explain all mysteries and faith to move mountains. He says it is useless without love. And that should make us the moving of the mountains. The call back to Jesus in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, when Jesus said, say to this mountain and be removed and cast into the sea and doubt not in your heart and it will happen. Paul says, if you have faith to move mountains, if you can speak to the mountain and it will get up and it will throw itself into the sea, if you do not have love, if you do not walk in the way of love, it is useless, it is profitless. There is no point to it, nothing. And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that the Corinthian church prided themselves on having these gifts. He quickly sets it all into place by dealing with that. So essentially, oh, through your prayers, the sick are healed and you speak in languages of angels? All right, no love. Doesn't matter. Because, brothers and sisters, sometimes what happens is when we experience something of the spiritual if we're not careful, it causes us to become full of pride. And because I can only talk from my own example and use myself as an illustration, 
because I'm okay with embarrassing myself, not others. So I'll just use myself as an example. I, uh, way, way back in the day, like way back in the day, picture young Michael, like no beard, no gray hair, slightly bigger glasses, a little thinner, a little more handsome. <laughs> I was at youth group, and uh, I was part of, I was at this mega church that I, I worked for, and, you know, they had like a charismatic kind of Pentecostalish background, right? So the gifts of the Spirit were something that they really believed in, and were like, everybody needs to do this. And, and oftentimes, that's what happens when you're young, and you latch onto something, you get really zealous for it, right? Think back to, some of you, your teenage years were very, a long time ago. Some of you, your teenage years were, you're in them right now. Some of you, your teenage years or maybe a year or two ago, right? But you latch on to things. And I remember <laughs> one day, like at youth group, I, I was just felt like inclined to read a scripture. So I got up and took the, the mic and I read a scripture. And uh, over, over the, the course of time, I would, like, I would talk to people and I would say, you know, I really feel, I feel like I need to tell you this, X, Y, and Z. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, how did you know? And instead of making me humble, that made me really, really, really arrogant, which is one of my besetting sins is arrogance, which is something I'm always on the lookout for. Because no matter how smart I think I am, I'm always now meeting people who are 20 times smarter <laughs> than I am. And that helps, it helps keep me humble. But I learned a lesson there that people who think that they're being used by God in a particular gifts, if they don't have the right heart, if they're not walking in the way of love, if they don't have that as an anchor, the gifts can lead to pride. And that's not just for spectacular gifts too, visible gifts. It's also for gifts like helps. And St. Paul says there's gifts of administration, Right? Even that, even a gift of administration can fill you with pride and keeping us from walking in the way of love. He then says, he moves into this pattern in verses 4 through 7, love does not or is not, and then love does. Right? These are a few verses that are how the church at Corinth and, and us as Christians following in their footsteps this is the way we ought to behave, right? And this is the way that Paul himself is trying to behave. So remember back a few minutes ago, I said love is specific actions of patient and costly service. This is how one loves and serves others. And this is why we see this structure of love does not or love is not. And it starts here with a pretty negative list, right? It says love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or does not do shameful behavior, which is a better translation than rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. We have to remember, brothers and sisters, that all of these things that love does not do are all things that St. Paul says they have been themselves doing. So when he says here that love is not arrogant, when love does not insist on its own way, when love is not envious, love does not boast, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, these are all things that that church was doing. Every single one of them. People insisting on their own way. People easily angered. People remembering things that other people in the church did to them and holding on to that and not forgiving that. Even taking fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to court 
which St. Paul talks about in this, in this letter. All of these things that he lists that love does not do, these are all things that they themselves were doing. But he doesn't leave it there. He then gets into what love does, what love is. He says, love rejoices with the truth. He says, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes and endures all things. And he himself is the model for this type of behavior, right? Because he's imitating Jesus too. He says, Paul himself models authentic love in his long-suffering apostolic role. Paul shows them a more excellent way, not only through his word picture of love, but also through his example. In other words, he's not just writing to them and saying, do what I say. He's also saying, do what I say and do what I do, right? Unlike bad parents. Do what I say, not what I do. Paul says, do what I say, please. But he's also saying, but do it like this. I am setting this example for you. I'm not just telling you to do things. This is the way I'm trying to live my life. And he even in the first and second Corinthians, he lists all of the things that he suffers for them. He's like, I suffer this. I've suffered this. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've been in the desert. I've been floating in the ocean for days and upon days waiting for rescue. I suffered this. These are the marks of my apostleship. And brothers and sisters, these are all his acts of love, not only for, for them, but for all of the churches that he planted, the way of love. And he says, the gifts are going to fade away eventually because they will no longer be necessary. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, all of this stuff will pass away because right now we only see in part. We do not yet fully know what God has for us. We have glimpses of it. We have clues of it. And these gifts are given to us as a bridge between our present age and the age to come. And the mistake some preachers make here is to say that these gifts have passed away because the perfect has come because we have Scripture. They interpret the perfect to be Scripture in the formation of the New Testament. But this idea is not tied. This actually isn't in the text. That's reading into the text what Scripture is saying here. This is wrong. Paul then makes a comparison between the gifts we have now given by God and not needing them anymore at the eschaton, at the end of the age. Once Christ returns, we will know God fully. We will no longer need intermediaries. We will no longer need people to exercise gifts between us because we will all have unmediated access to God. Seeing through a mirror, right, he says, but then we will see face to face. And that should make us think, brothers and sisters, of Moses who ascended to the mountain where it said, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Face to face. Right now we are all looking through a mirror dimly. But one day we will see fully. We will see fully, and then we will know. Then we will be fully wise, right? All of those things will be fulfilled in us. We will all experience that one day, and we get the beginnings of that right now, but not in fullness. But then he says something interesting. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. St. Paul says these, these three things abide. So how can hope and faith abide forever? Because hope will one day be fulfilled. 
We hold to the sure hope that through Jesus we will one day be resurrected and the world will be remade. And faith is the trust we exercise in the here and now. Because at the end of time, we will see and we will experience what we have believed in, making faith no longer necessary. So these three, when he says faith, hope, and love abide, these three, these three the greatest of these is love. He's not saying that faith, hope, and love, well, one of them will endure through the end of time. Right now, faith, hope, and love, these three things are qualities we exercise here and now, but only love will endure on to the ages to come. Witherington says this, and I love this. I think this is beautiful. Faith will become sight. Hope will be fulfilled. But love will simply carry on, presumably amplified and purified into a perfect condition. It is the one attribute that is to bridge this age and eschatological reality or the age to come. So brothers and sisters, with all that in mind, let's think then of what we heard in the gospel reading today about Jesus. Just, he had just finished reading a portion of the book of Isaiah. He hands back the scroll. He tells a gathered people that what he just read is fulfilled in him and in his ministry. Then this happened. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Then they said, is this not Joseph's son? What, isn't it Joseph, the guy who helped build my house? The guy who helped me with this, the guy who helped pull my, 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 well, that time I drove off the road, I slipped on a patch of black sand and my camel fell in the ditch. Isn't Joseph the guy that towed me out? Isn't Joseph the guy that gave me some bread? Don't we know Joseph? Who did this guy think he is? Jesus hears this and he uses the story of God helping non-covenanted people during times when Israel was experiencing difficulty and judgment due to their stubbornness and breaking God's law. They didn't like this, right? And they become angry. They want to kill him. And he passes through them. And the reason why I mention this, brothers and sisters, is because I think it demonstrates something of what we see read in 1 Corinthians 13. The religious leaders heard the word of God. They heard the word of scripture. They heard God's words from the God-man's own mouth, right? Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully human, right? He's in their synagogue saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. All of these things that the Messiah is coming to do, I'm here to do. And when they heard the word of God from the God-man's own mouth, they did not hear it. They did not listen to it. They did not allow it to penetrate their hearts because they lacked something that many Christians at the church of Corinth lacked today, and that is humility. Humility. It's one thing for me to stand up here and say, love does this and love does not do that. Love is supposed to work like this and be experienced among us in a particular way. It's another thing for every one of us to hear those words and be humble enough to respond and say, wow, <laughs> that's talking about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about me now. I'm really arrogant sometimes. And I can also be a real big jerk sometimes. Surprise, surprise, if you've known me for more. Well, I've been here for three years now. Most of you have, may have seen that side of me already. I can be a bit of a jerk sometimes. Sometimes my mouth runs away before my brain can catch up with it. And sometimes I say things that I shouldn't. Sometimes, and I'm learning this as a father, I'm learning how impatient I am. It's funny, but it's also, 
it's also a deep realization for me because I prided myself on being really patient. Like, wow, I'm generally really patient and easygoing. Have a kid. All of you, a lot of you have had kids, so you know. Kids are, <laughs> they're like a magnifying glass, even more so in a way that spouses can be of, 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 your, of your soul. I'm really impatient sometimes. Like, it's easy for me to operate out of that. So it's difficult for me to hear passages like this that says, love does not do this. To only look at myself and to see myself doing those things the same Paul says love does not do. And that's hard. I don't want to hear that about myself. I don't want the light of God's word shining and illuminating that part of me that I don't want to deal with, that I don't want healed, that I don't want to see. But when we hear the word of God, that's what it's doing, right? The book of Hebrews says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides us. It, it penetrates into our hearts. It's like sitting, it's like being in a neo-noir movie where the criminal is sitting down in the dark room and they shine that really bright light on their face, that heat, and they're like, they can't see anything. And the cops are like, where were you? That's what hearing the word of God is like sometimes. We get those spotlights illuminated on our hearts. And what we see in that gospel reading, brothers and sisters, is when Jesus himself says, today that's fulfilled in your hearing, I am here to do all of these things. The light of God's word shone in their hearts, delivered from the mouth of the God-man himself, and did it turn them towards humility? So they heard his word and accepted him? No. It turned their hearts to pride, and they refused him, and they tried to kill him, and he left. Oftentimes, the words that were meant to to help us. Sometimes they anger, they anger us because we don't want to deal with the fact that we are unloving. Except you, Hadley. So take, <laughs> so today, brothers and sisters, take stock and realize that the love of God on display here that St. Paul says, right? He says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into Christ, God's love has been infused into our hearts. And if we ask, God will help draw it out of us. If we ask, God will help us. So our response to the word of God will not be one of anger, but of humble acceptance. And that we will not fall prey to pride, the chief of all the sins, because that's the sin of Satan himself. And why he uses it so much to draw us aside. So brothers and sisters, sometimes it feels like it's impossible. How can I be loving? How can I, <laughs> how can I be loving? How can I forgive? How can I learn to walk, not just with these squishy feelings that I feel for my significant other, but how, does this, how do I walk in love as St. Paul says, an excellent way, an excellent way. That the beginning of walking in that way is humility and identifying in ourselves what God is trying to highlight. And for every one of us, it's something a little different. I already told you what it was for me. So you go home and think and pray about what it is for you. What it is for you. And then be humble enough to say, God, help me please. Help me deal with this. Help me walk in that way. And guess what? 
the prayer that God answers the quickest, I think, and the most regularly is help. Help. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I ask that you take a few minutes and help us if you could. We've recently begun fundraising efforts for some repairs that our building really, really needs. If you could, go to our Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. You'll see a link to a fundraising page we've set up at GoFundMe which I'll include in the description of this episode and all episodes moving forward. GoFundMe.com slash SaveZionStoneUCC. If you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, please keep us in prayer as we go through this fundraising process. You can also, please, if you have some time, rate us on iTunes, and you can also find this podcast on Spotify as well. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you.